the American founding fathers uh, include people like George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, John Hancock. Uh, some of them signed the Declaration of Independence in 1776, took part in various ways in the American Revolution and the production of, of the American Constitution. Uh, they're universally respected across America as heroes. Wise, brave, noble, moral, religious men. Men who put their country first and personally risked everything. Now, the, re that's, the reality, no doubt, is somewhat different to that, but that's not the way America likes to remember their heroes. Now, Australia doesn't have that same sort of noble beginning. Our founding fathers were, were convicts or soldiers or free men running away from something else. So I don't think we quite understand the adoration and the respect that Americans hold their founding fathers in, uh, the priority of parentage. That's America. Now, take what the Americans think about their founding fathers, multiply it by 10, and you start to understand what the Jews thought about their founding father, Abraham. It was Abraham God first spoke to when he was in Mesopotamia. God promised to make him the father of many nations. His descendants would be as many as the stars in the sky. He promised him a land that uh, his descendants could live in. He promised that Abraham would be a blessing to the whole world. Eventually, God's promises came true through Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. Then hundreds of years in Egypt... Then through Moses, Abraham's descendants grew. They, they actually grew into a nation. Then in the wilderness, God gave them his law to live out what it meant to be God's holy people. Finally, he brought them into the promised land with Joshua. And then through kings and conquests, exiles, returns, Israel survived and they were distinct and different from all the nations around them. They survived Assyrian invasion, Babylonian invasion, Greek invasion, Roman invasion, all the way through to the time that Paul wrote his letter around AD 60. It was a history to be proud of. And Abraham was the father of it all. And the sticking point in, for the church in Rome, as we've been reading through Romans, has been what the Jewish Christians thought about their history and especially what it meant for how they related to the Gentiles, about how they both belonged to Jesus and what that looks like. Because it's always been pretty easy to tell Jews apart from other nations. Back in Genesis 17, God told Abraham to circumcise his whole household as a sign of the covenant God was making with them, a visual identification that separated off the Jews, Abraham's offspring from every other nation. And it had been like that for every Jew since, including all the Jews Paul was writing to in the church at Rome. And so the Jews were, were proud. They thought it gave them a head start on being right with God. They had the sign of God's covenant with them. They had the law that spelled out what they were to do, how they were to live, and that gave them something to brag about when it came to comparing themselves to others. 
especially with the Gentiles they sat next to in church who didn't have any of those things. But Paul has spent the last three chapters of his letter spelling out how that's no advantage at all. The Jews have no advantage. On the negative side, everybody has sinned. Those who have the law break the law. Those who don't have the law sin. On the positive side, everyone receives the gift of being saved through Jesus by faith. Completely free, no payment required. There's no difference. There's no no reason to separate. You can see how he finishes his argument at the end of chapter 3 in verse 28. He says, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there's only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Everyone falls short of God's standard, law or no law. Everyone is saved by grace through faith, not through keeping the law. And now he's going to give his closing argument by looking at Abraham. Because if Abraham can prove his point, then that squashes Jewish pride. It cuts their legs out from under them because they look to Abraham as their model. And so he says in verse 1 of chapter 4, what did Abraham discover in this matter? If he was actually justified, if he was declared right with God by works, by keeping the law, then he had something to boast about. Presumably so too would the Jews in the Roman church. But what do the scriptures say? Verse 3, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. It doesn't say Abraham circumcised his family and then God decided he was righteous. But Abraham believed God and God credited that to him as righteousness. Paul's not making that up. It's a quote from Genesis chapter 15 verse 6 when God uh, promises Abraham offspring as many as the stars in the sky and we're told Abraham believed God. He took him at his word and so God credited it to him as righteousness. And it wasn't even that the belief, the, the faith was the work that made him righteous It wasn't he earned righteousness because he trusted. Verse 4, Paul goes on to say there are two ways you can receive money. You can earn it, in which case it's wages, or you can do nothing, and it's a gift. And that's what God does with righteousness. He recognises Abraham's trust, and then he fills up his bank account with righteousness. Look at how Paul describes it in verse 5. However, to the man who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. You can't present your faith to God and then demand payment. It's not work. Instead, you have to trust the gift that's offered and not work. Faith isn't work, it's actually non work. Faith is non-work. 
Even King David, another father of the Jewish faith, doesn't earn God's favour. He enjoys the free gift. Paul quotes one of his songs in verse 7. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Forgiven, covered over, not counted. David doesn't do any of that. It's a blessing that comes from God, a gift you can't work for. And so what all of that means is that the forgiven Gentiles are just as blessed as the forgiven Jews. There's no special forgiveness blessing that comes from being Jewish. Paul pushes the argument even further because he's going to talk about the importance of doing things in the right order, the significance of sequence. One of my favourite old TV shows is MASH. There's an old episode of MASH uh, where the doctors are trying very carefully to disarm a live, unexploded bomb that's landed in the middle of their hospital camp. And the instructions said, first, carefully remove the nose cone. So, first, they carefully remove the nose cone. And the instructions said, second, carefully cut the wires leading to the fuse. So they, second, carefully cut the wires leading to the fuse. And then they read the next line in the instruction manual, which said, but be careful to pull out the fuse first. And the bomb goes off. Uh, Luckily, it's a propaganda bomb with leaflets rather than explosives, so no one got hurt. But the order of things is very important. And the order of things Paul's talking about here is the order of events between when Abraham was made righteous and when he was circumcised. Do you remember what chapter God promised Abraham, descendants as many as the stars? When it was that Abraham believed God and God credited him as righteousness? It was Genesis chapter 15. And when did God uh, command Abraham to be circumcised? It was Genesis 17. And if you do the maths, it's 17 years later. 17 years after, God God had already declared Abraham righteous. This is the significance of sequence. God didn't declare Abraham righteous because he'd followed God's command and circumcised his family. It was the other way around. Abraham had already been declared righteous because he trusted God. And then God instructed him to obey as a sign of his right standing, of his righteousness. That's what Paul says in verse 11. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith, while he was still uncircumcised. Circumcision is an external sign of what had already happened on the inside. Paul calls it, another word, he calls it a seal A seal represents the authority behind the person who issues the seal. There's nothing special about the seal. It's got no power on its own, but it's a visible symbol of someone who does have the power. Like when you get a degree or a certificate, there's often a seal that shows the institution that issues the degree. It shows that the degree is an authentic one. There's nothing special about the seal. You could photocopy it, you could forge it. It's not the seal that makes you a graduate. 
It's the university that has the power to do that. The seal just gives people confidence in what the university's done. And that's the way it works with circumcision. On its own, circumcision means nothing. It's a sign, uh, it's only a sign when God's done something on the inside for the sign to point to. When God declares someone righteous, just like he did with Abraham. The seal of circumcision helped the Jews to trust the authority of God who had made the promise, who'd made them righteous. Now, that's got implications for who is in the family and who's not. I wonder if you've seen that TV show on SBS, Who Do You Think You Are?, Uh, where they research the family background of famous people and they find out all sorts of sometimes embarrassing information about their ancestors. They find relatives they never knew they had. And it's sort of like that here. Paul says to the Jews in Rome, they need to redraw their family tree. They've connected it all wrong because it's not about bloodlines, it's about faith. Verse 11, he says, So then, Abraham is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he's also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. He's the father of both, circumcised and uncircumcised. He's the father of all who have faith. The Jews thought they were related to Abraham because they were physically descended because they carried the physical sign and that everyone else wasn't part of the family. But Paul says to the Jews, you've got brothers you never knew about. Both of you come from the same father because it's trusting God's word that makes you Abraham's children because that's what Abraham did. God did something to him on the inside and that had nothing to do with what happened on the outside. And so Paul reaches his conclusion about the revelation of relatives, about who your family is. There in verse 16. Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it's written, I've made you the father of many nations. So here's where the theology gets practical. Paul is saying, you Jewish Christians, you need to look across at those Gentile Christians and recognise them as your long-lost brothers. Both of you are Abraham's children by faith. Now, of course, the application is it's not just simply about Jews and Gentiles, but it's about everything which is an external distinction between Christians. Colour education, income, sex. None of those things matter. They don't make us different. If we belong to God by faith, if he's put us right with himself because we've trusted his word, then we're all part of the one family, even with those differences. Abraham's our father because we have the same faith as him. Now I wonder if that's a feeling you've experienced with other Christians 
Uh, I know when some of us went to Thailand a, a few years ago, we sat in churches where that looked very different from churches we experienced, and yet there was a feeling that we were with family. We couldn't understand a word, we didn't know the songs or the tunes, we didn't know what was said, but it felt like we were with family. An immediate connection, a unity, even though we're very different. We're all descended spiritually from Abraham. He trusted God and so do we, and God declared him righteous. By the way, it says something about what faith is as well. Abraham is the figure of faith, an example. The way some people think about faith, you'd think faith is like a cold. It's something that you can catch. Sometimes I wonder if anyone said anything like this to you. You've got faith. I don't have faith. I wish I had faith, like you do. But the way Abraham's faith is described here, it's not something you have or don't have. There's no faith gene. You don't catch it. You express faith. That's the point of verses 18 to 22. Abraham showed faith in real, concrete ways. His wife was 90. He was 100. On the surface, only a fool would trust God's promise. But Abraham had said it, that he'd have a child. and Sorry, God had said it and Abraham trusted him. Verse 19. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. That's what faith is. That's what faith looks like, being fully persuaded that God can do it. Notice it says he was strengthened in his faith. I wonder if that's because God had given him the seal of circumcision to uh, remind him, to, to help him to trust the promise. He was strengthened in his faith despite appearances. And then he chooses to show that by being obedient, by doing what God said. So Abraham's not just the father of all who have faith, he's the example or the model. Uh, you can see that from what Paul writes next as he comes towards the end of the chapter. He wants the Roman Christians and he wants us to learn the lesson from Abraham. Here's the application. Verse 23. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins, raised to life for our justification. Abraham expressed faith despite all the circumstances that pointed against it and God made him righteous. His body was as good as dead, but God brought life out of death. And there's the lesson for us. You and I are called to express faith, to trust that God's word is true, that Jesus did die for our sin. He was raised to life. We're called to trust also that God will bring life out of death. He did it with Jesus. He'll do it with us. And we too are to take God at his word, that he'll bring life out of death.
And as we express that faith, we are made righteous, just like Abraham. We express that faith every day. We we express it by not trying to add to faith, by resting in it, recognising our righteousness is a gift, obeying God out of love rather than duty or payment. We express faith by humility, by recognising God's grace that's been shown to us, working on our sin. Recognising sin means getting rid of pride and ego. We're sinners who deserve wrath, yet we've been shown grace. We express our faith by humbly accepting other Christians, despite their differences, despite different priorities, different preferences, different ways of doing things, different perspectives on how we understand the Christian life or certain Bible verses. We listen, we seek to understand, we celebrate what we share rather than how we're different. That's the lesson when Father Abraham is the father of us all. Fundamentally, we are one body, though many. Abraham, the man God credited righteousness to as a gift, he's the father of us all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, rather long chapter, I guess, and it's, it's quite difficult in spots, but uh, what a clear message that uh, you put Abraham right as a gift because he trusted you. You credited righteousness to him. Uh, you want us to do the same. Uh, when Abraham was faced with death, you brought life out of his body and you promised to do the same for us when we trust you, when we trust the work of your son, Jesus. Uh, And we pray that as we trust you uh, through this life, that you might work in us uh, the fruit of that trust. You might work in us humility, uh, that we would let go of pride and competition and working to please you or to please others. Uh, That instead we might uh, rest and rejoice in the blessing of the gift of righteousness that comes through faith. Uh, we, We praise you and we bless you. Amen.